You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, made in harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com chef. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know every single one of them is listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is up in the Hudson Valley in New York State. We are talking about farming at the all-for-one, one-for-all farm. And if that sounds like something like a musketeer, you would be 100% right. The owners and founders and engineers of the farm are the mother-daughter team, Ariane Daga, who listeners of Heritage Radio probably have heard over the years. She is the CEO and founder of a company called D'Artagnan. And if you've eaten foie gras in the United States in the past 20 years, you probably know her product. And she is joined with her daughter, Alix Daga, who is the principal in the architecture firm Duck Duck Design. And the two of them have sort of combined their family powers to creating a farm which has a really interesting tech point of view. Uh, Ariane, Alex, thank you for joining us today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah. Well, it's nice. It's, you know, on this show, we look at the intersection of food and technology. And so often, um, that point is something digital or futuristic or lab-grown meat. And we always think about tech as being something uh, we've never seen before or forward-thinking or something, you know, like the world's fair, the future is now, Tomorrowland. But actually, the definition of technology is simply the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes it's machinery or equipment that you develop from scientific knowledge to do a job. So in many respects, there are so many things around us that are technology, like a fork or a spatula or, you know, really simple things like that, that we don't often think about technology necessarily as being something that's on a farm. Um, today, we have a lot of conversations around different types of farming, what's good, what's not good, what's better for the planet, what's environmental, what creates better product. And we've had a lot of businesses on this show that are creating plant-based substitutes for animal products because there is a conversation around the idea that animal agriculture is a very intensive load on the planet's environmental resources. But we've also done shows 
on the topic of regenerative farming, which takes a little bit of a different point of view, which is if you create a well-balanced ecosystem that includes plants, animals, and insects, that's actually the best balance for the environment. And that type of agriculture, you know, we do talk about regenerative farming, which is, um, we had a conversation about all of this prior to the show, and Alix was very uh, smart to say right out of the gate that she really doesn't like that word because it has become such a flashpoint. And I think that's true. Um, so we're going to get right into the idea of an agricultural tech stack. And, you know, on this show, we've talked about tech stacks in the past. And typically that's, you know, a restaurant or a business that has multiple digital systems stacked on top of each other to run the business. You know, your Wi-Fi, your payment, reservations, apps, all those types of things. But I, I'm going to posit that we could say that silvopasture farming is actually kind of like an agricultural tech stack. So, Alex, <laughs> so first of all, um, before we get too much into that, let's just get a brief, brief um, snapshot of why you started the farm. So, Ariane, you officially started the farm in 2021, which was last year and the year after the really... Um, the really intense first wave of the pandemic. Um, why did you decide to start the farm? Well, several reasons. Uh, the first one is to have the opportunity to do something with my daughter, something that we're both passionate about. On my side, it's a lot about um, education and hospitality, um, you know, showing that you can do good, you can actually regenerate uh, the soil and the earth and do good to the planet in an agriculture setting of polyculture, both with animals and with plants, um, and go the full circle with it, uh, looking at uh, growing them, growing the animals, exploiting them, you know, getting the milk, making the cheese, um, getting the plants, making alcohol or liquors with it, and then eventually also having uh, people consume it and uh, understanding the pleasures and the quality of um, taking something just off the ground and either fresh or fermented or, uh, or not um, and enjoying it in a, in a convivial setting. So for you, Ariane, you come from the southwest of France. You come from a very well-known uh, restaurant and hospitality family. Famously, your father and your brother are chefs um, with Michelin stars and things like that. But in, in that part of the world where you grew up eating, food, farming, I mean, the whole idea of farm to table, which is something new and trendy in the United States, is really just a way of life where you grew up that sort of complete integration between, you know, the, the farm and the land around you and how that translates into your work, your business, and then ultimately what's on your table. Totally. Totally. We live to eat. We don't uh, eat to survive. We live to eat. And um, um, as an aside, I know we don't have too much time, but today there is a collective of uh, Hudson uh, foie gras farmers who actually uh, are suing the city of New York. Mm. 
Yep. That sounds like something for the news show, Meeting 3. We'll have to take a look <laughs> at that. Um, you don't have any foie gras on your farm currently, do you? No. But you might later. <laughs> we have geese. They are very friendly. and uh, now The it... geese are our guard dogs. Yes. Yeah. We will be keeping them as guard dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in the tech stack, yeah, the geese are our guard yeah, dogs. They're the, they're the um, intruder system. So, but all that to say, Ariane, you know, for you, from your point of view, the whole idea of um, farm to table or um, creating a um, holistic and regenerative profile on the land, that's something that's very new in the conversation in the United States. Is that surprising to you that it's new and that people are just discovering it when it's something that you've known the whole time? It's it's su not surprising, but for sure, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the seventh generation. Alex is the eighth generation in the food business, coming from a rural uh, environment in Gascogne, southwest France, where... Uh, everything that we're talking about and that we're trying to achieve with high-tech and low-tech, but still that we're trying to achieve there at uh, All One One All Farm in uh, Goshen, New York, is uh, uh, existed uh, in Gascogne, in Gascogne centuries ago. We're, we're just trying to reproduce what nature does very, very well on its own. And there are tools today to do that a little more efficiently. But uh, we went overboard, especially after World War II. We started to uh, want to really feed all the population a little too much, you know. Uh, and um, we depleted the, um, uh, the earth in the, in the process. So the idea is to go back to what nature offers and what nature does on its own very well. Well, I think it's interesting that you note that, you know, Alex is going to be the eighth generation and certainly regenerative or silvopasture farming is something that is a long game. It is multi-generational. There are things that take a long time to see evolve and come together, especially if you're starting with land or an environment that has been completely depleted. And depletion is something that Alex mentioned. So I'm going to, we're going to have her sort of start to unpack this and explain, you know, the, the farm tech stack that we're looking at today. Regenerist farming is something that is, um, we've all seen probably the Netflix movie, you know, with Woody Harrelson, with Giselle Bunchen as one of the producers. Um, and regenerist farming is definitely a flash word. It's, it's something new. We did a show um, a year or two ago, episode 219 on regenerative farming. It was a young farmer out on the West Coast, um, and his farm was um, funded by a really interesting crowdfunding platform for farms called Harvest Returns. And it is a flashpoint, and like so many things, it's a flashpoint because the counterpoint is environmentalism. Um, the counterpoint is... Um, Sometimes uh, veganism and vegetarianism, sort of everything that is animal-based is not good. Um, and also, people don't necessarily understand what it is. And in our initial conversations about what's happening on the farm, Alix said something that was so smart to me. She said, instead of depleting the environment, we're going to regenerate it. And so the idea of depletion versus regeneration or putting back in versus taking out, I think is a very interesting one. So, Alex, you, you had very specific, strong point of view about how you want to talk about 
the te the technology and the practices that you have on the farm. And I think your veracity was based in a lot of um, uh, misinformation and, you know, sort of like social media fish shaking that's happening out there. <laughs> No, you're totally right. The The term, it's complex and it's often used as a marketing or a broad description. And so I can absolutely talk about, you know, what the metrics or the exact suite of practices that we use that makes me believe and a bunch of other people believe um, that if we use these practices, all of a sudden the food that we eat can actually make the planet, I know this sounds crazy and lofty, but can actually make the planet a better place. It can um, minimize erosion. It can increase and support biodiversity. It can uh, provide healthier soils, um, all that kind of stuff. So the suite of practice, should I go into the suite of practices? <laughs> sure. And I think it's, it's worth noting, um, let's start off with, you know, for regenerative farming, when people think about it classically, it really is about um, creating a healthier soil environment, no? Like putting more um, oxygen into the environment because that's sort of like the fundamental baseline of what makes something a, a good base to grow. It's, it's all about oxygen and carbon dioxide and recycling all those things. Absolutely, it's definitely about sequestering more carbon. I would also say it's, it's also about preventing um, what allows us to sequester more carbon is also what um, prevents erosion and allows us to replenish aquifers more. So, I mean, you're right. Yes, absolutely. And so how would you define, what is your definition of regenerist farming? Um, I'd say my definition for us, for the farm, is basically um, that we're using a standard suite of these regenerative or ecological farming practices. And those go from planting trees to maintaining beneficial insect habitats to composting, mulching, cover cropping, uh, maintaining perennial cover, that's super important, to um, farming with beneficial insects with brush piles. Um, so that involves, yes, pollinator gardens are important, but also it, it's great to have them. But if you don't have wood in various forms of decay, then where are they going to lay their eggs and where are they going to overwinter? Um, there's also uh, multi-species grazing uh, connected with rotational grazing, um, all of those. And I can keep going, but I don't want to, I don't want to you know, um, let's, but all of those make it up. So, I mean, a couple of questions come to mind. One is, I mean, obviously there are, you know, technical, technological advances and better ways of doing things, but all the things that you just mentioned, um, multiple types of species, insects that pollinate, mulch and things like that on the ground. You're just replicating naturally occurring ecosystems. You're not inventing pollinating insects. Pollinating insects have been a part of how the world just evolves <laughs> forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So our work really is basically to shepherd, it's basically to set up a framework, um, which I think we've done with our orchard rows, fodder tree rows, um, the rotational multi-species grazing between the sheep, um, the chickens and the ducks, and then to plug and play, basically 
to create a, a framework that all of a sudden, instead of like one plus one, I don't know how to describe this any better, but instead of one plus one equals two, or one plus one plus one equals whatever that equals <laughs> four, all of a sudden one plus one plus one equals 10. And equals 10 because we're leveraging the fact that, you know, when you do have brush piles, okay, so you have overwintering habitat, you have egg laying habitat, the birds come and hang out, the insects come and hang out. So more birds come and hang out. You have more perches. So then all of a sudden you don't have to spray your plants as much because birds love perches and have insects and they'll eat more insects that are off of your, what you're trying to grow on your orchard trees. You, do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm so saying a little bit? Mike, what brings to mind is being, having the architecture and design background that you have. Um, it's, it's so many things. I mean, just sort of casually throw out a lot of these different terminologies and different farming practices and each one unto itself could be, you know, an episode or a discussion or a course or a class or a, or a style of farming. How did you start designing the farm? Did you both design it together? Did you have help? Did you have, how, did you sort of build it the same way? Um, you know, there's all those, uh, games, there's a farming game and SimCity and like building virtual environments and everything where you, you literally have to build your environment layer by layer. Where, what was your starting point in terms of designing the farm? Yes, absolutely. It was basically the framework of, we knew the pieces that we wanted in the puzzle to start. And um, that had to do with orchard trees, fodder trees, and animals. And then we sat down, um, and since we are not tree specialists, one of our first and important hires was our silo pasture manager who came out from the Yale uh, Forestry School. And we, we, like, we said, here's the dream, here's what I sketched. I had kind of sketched um, basically like primary rows and some secondary rows slash pasture areas. And we sat down and we're like, what trees will work here? Here are our soil tests. Like, can can we do this all together? It takes a lot of knowledge to, to, to set up these systems. That's what we're finding out. That's what we found out very, very quickly, you know, between the sheep and the different kinds of annual plants and perennial plants. And you need all the help <laughs> that you can get. Yeah. And, well, then, and then we got, we got overboard and um, we got some... Uh, um, some trees inoculated with mycelium for truffles from oh. France, and we tried those. And we dispersed some spores of morels, and we tried those. You know, we're trying, we're trying stuff. Yeah. Well, it's only the second year. You opened in 2021, and it's only 2022. So, I mean, certainly all of these things take time. I mean, you pick the things that maybe take the longest time. Um, we're going to take a little break in our time to find out who is underwriting this episode. Um, all for One, One for All is a 501c3 nonprofit, and so is Heritage Radio Network. We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. I'm Chaba Periban, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 
818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. In the heart of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Lilia combined wood-fired seafood, handcrafted pasta, classic Italian cocktails, and warm hospitality. Since 2016, it's been celebrated as a neighborhood gathering place, bringing the best of Italy to New York City. Lilia is one of over 8,000 restaurants that leverage bento box to power their digital front door, including their website, gift cards, event management, and more. BentoBox is a marketing and commerce platform built specifically for the hospitality industry. With BentoBox, get discovered, make more money, and engage your diners so you can deliver great hospitality both in person and online. Visit getbento.com chef today to learn more and get your first month free. That's getbento.com chef. This episode is supported by HRN business member ClearCogs, as in cost of goods sold. ClearCogs saves restaurants money by providing daily food prep forecasting to help reduce food waste. Using historic restaurant transaction data and custom machine learning models, ClearCogs predicts how much of each ingredient or menu item needs to be prepped on each day. To learn more, visit clearcogs.com. That's clearcogs.com. ClearCogs supports HRN's creative, educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is in the Hudson Valley. It's at a place called All for One, One for All. It's a farm in the mid Hudson Valley. It is a nonprofit regenerative silvopasture farm. And if that sounds like a mouthful, the only thing you need to know is they're essentially using multiple types of farming to create a very robust ecological system for plants, animals, and people. If you want to check it out virtually, go to all11all.com. You can follow them on Instagram at A-O-O-A Farm. And it's definitely worth checking out as we're going into the Memorial Day weekend and summer is officially starting. Um, They have a lot of really great and interesting events happening 
all the time. Um, beekeeping, art classes, things for kids, farm tours, cooking classes. There's a farm stand. Um, if you're in the neighborhood or driving by, it's probably worth a stop. And if you're not in the neighborhood, maybe it's worth a trip. Um, the, the founders, creators of the farm are Ariane Daguin, who is the CEO and founder of a company called D'Artagnan. If you want to take a look at their wares, it's D'Artagnan, D-A-R-T-A-G-N-A-N.com. You can follow them on Instagram at D'Artagnan underscore official. And if you want to follow Ariane, she's at Ariane Daguin. And her daughter, Alix, Alix Daguin, who is the principal at Duck Duck Design. And if you want to look at her architecture work, her website is duckduckdesign.com. So in the conversations that we had about all these different practices, um, which are kind of a, a, an amalgamation of things that exist, just putting them together thoughtfully, we often do think of technology as being something like so far away and futuristic but one of the things that you talked about, which I really just love the imagery of it, and it turns out it's like a French thing, which, of course, makes sense. Um, talk to us about, um, Ariane, tell us about the kites in the, in, on the farm. In, uh, in southwest France, uh, we raise um, ducks for foie gras, and they go outside very young. And so predators uh, can have a ball. And a natural way to um, prevent predators and to basically uh, make them afraid is to have a bigger predator than them. So what they invented over there are huge, humongous kites that look like eagles. And so when you have a big eagle uh, watching over your, uh, your uh, coop, your poultry and um, all your animals, then the hawks or smaller um, birds or, or foxes even will not come. They will be afraid of that. Uh, so it takes some um, uh, use. Uh, I mean, the, the babies, the baby ducks and, and chicks get used to that kite very, very uh, fast because uh, very quickly because they have this hovering uh, over them all the time. But the predators um, are not. And so uh, during the day, this is a very, very efficient, low-tech way of um, uh, uh, avoiding predators. I, I really love the idea and the imagery of that, of a giant hawk kite sort of floating, you know, flying over the farm. You're using kites at All for One, One for All, yes? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we have several. That's fine. Yeah, the... The only limitation is at night. So at night, we have a system of uh, uh, solar panel uh, induced uh, doors for the coops. The coops are actually uh, uh, horse trailers that Alix equipped with those little doors and that um, shut down automatically after sundown. Uh, and also where she put um, a motion uh, detecting system that sends a, a light probe if something big is approaching too close. Mm. That, I think that would make a, a great um, class also, making kites to put in the garden. I'm It would work in someone's garden at home probably also. Absolutely. And actually it would work on a different scale where if, some, if there's a home gardener that has 
tomatoes or any kind of vegetables. I have a few friends that do this is on a nylon piece of string. They actually laminate a huge colorful butterfly mm. and it scares insects and, and caterpillars from actually hanging out and eating. I mean, nobody wants like eating pieces of kale, basically. They'll actually line them up right next to it. And I swear, I mean, well, I don't swear, but they swear that it works. I haven't done it yet, but we're thinking about setting it up in a few spots to test it out this year. Oh, that's so fun. So you would need to figure out what the predator is, and then you make a kite out of the predator, and then you fly it over the crop or the, the farm or the livestock that you want to protect. It's such a fun, clever, clever idea. And again, technology doesn't have to be something, you know, digital that comes out of a lab. It's, it's just sometimes things that are very thoughtful. Um, you both have just started this project together. Um, you're a year in. I mean, Farms Last Forever. Ariane talked at the top of the show about LAXU being the eighth generation. Really um, sort of, you know, last thoughts about it. A question, the same question to both of you. Um, Ariane, you first. What is your long-term vision for the farm? What do you hope to see happening in five years from now or 10 years from now in terms of what you will be doing there? So um, really trying to uh, close the full circle. So right now we have a farm stand, people come, they order some food on the weekends and uh, they take the food and, and go at a couple of the picnic tables or in a setting, uh, picnic uh, setting uh, somewhere else. But eventually what I really would like is a full-fledged uh, uh, restaurant in there, a small scale, but full-fledged where we would... Um, uh, serve only the food coming from the farm, which is a, a bit of a challenge because the farm is only 14 acres, but it's very, very diversified. So we have hope. Uh, we have plans for uh, creamery. We're going to start making our uh, cheese and yogurt very, very soon. We have plans for um, uh, liquor license. We're uh, starting and we will be starting to make our own liquor and alcohols and wine very, very soon. And so a restaurant would be the uh, last logical step. Um, at D'Artagnan, I have a lot of uh, friends who are old clients, uh, chefs, uh, who uh, are waiting on the starting blocks to, uh, for us to have a, a, a kitchen all equipped and who want to come and actually have that challenge of coming without knowing a menu looking at the grounds and the uh, gardens and the animals and the eggs and deciding right then and there what the menu is going to be that night. Well, that sounds like a great plan and actually all pretty achievable, just a question of time, right? Just a question of growing, growing, having the things grow to being ready and, and building, building out some spaces and some kitchens. So you'll have to let us know when all that comes to pass. Yep. Alix, what, what do you see for the next five to 10 years? What are, what are your goals on the farm? What do you hope it evolves into? We're pretty aligned. I mean, I, I, I definitely want all of those um, programmatic elements to exist. Um, and I think the only thing I would add to that is, I mean, part of the reason we're doing this project is because we're both so obsessed with connecting people to their productive landscapes and then the practices that produce food for them. And so, and because we believe that the more you understand about where your food comes from and, and how it's processed, the better decisions you can make. Um, and so really the goal is like, 
everybody who comes here and will use any excuse from the workshops we do to the popsicle, fudge popsicles at the farm stand to one day the restaurant. Um, it's just that people come here and they, and they leave with a greater understanding and maybe implementing some of the things that they see here. Um, obviously not everybody has 14 acres, but everybody can have a compost pile or lots of people can have a compost pile or a compost bin. Lots of people can, um, you know, support local productive landscapes that, that farm in a beneficial matter. Um, yeah, that's all. Are you documenting everything? I'm One of the interesting pieces of Kiss the Ground, which is that Netflix documentary narrated by Woody Harrelson, um, you know, regardless of where um, listeners stand on regeneration and regenerative farming and, you know, some of the other issues that we've talked about, one of the fascinating, one of the most fascinating pieces of that documentary for me was at the very end where they had um, a, a, pa a parcel of land in China that was essentially, it almost looked like Arizona, like very deserty. It was dry. It was terraced um, land that I think had been mined or something like that. And it was like completely dry. There was almost no vegetation. There was almost no water. And they had um, a team come in and start regenerative farming. And they were taking videos and photos over the course of, I think it was almost 20 years. And at the end of it, you see, you know, all the vegetation come back and everything comes back. And then at the end of the uh, of the segment where they are in real time, it's completely transformed and it's lush and it's beautiful. Um, and that I think was one of the most um, sort of salient examples and impactful examples of, of what can happen. But we often don't have the patience or the ability to kind of see f forward into the future like that. Are you recording everything and taking lots of pictures and video of as it is today in a year or you know, onward and onward so that you can really see the, the evolution of it? Mm -hmm. We're absolutely making several different attempts at that from our farm flyovers that we do every two to three months, um, which are all on our website to, we have a record set. So that's more of a drawing for like what we're, what we're putting in, what we're setting up. That's like an architectural landscape plan, more or less. To, we have a nature log on our website, but also um, uh, for us personally, whenever we see um, different things happening, we'll take a picture, we'll tag it, what it is, the date. Um, and then right at the front of the farm stand, which you should come and see if, if you ever feel like driving up, you know, 50 minutes, not even from New York. At the front of the farm stand, we have pictures um, from when we first started to present day. And it's really pretty impressive. People get it because when they, when, they, when they see those pictures and they see this was month zero, month one, two, month seven, month eight, month 10, month, you know, they actually can see like, wow, you came here. This was way overgrazed. We can see the signs of erosion. And then they see how lush things are and they, it's, it works. Um, so we're still trying to figure out ways to, to document better because we are a very small team doing this right now. So if anybody has any ideas, let us know. <laughs> there, there might be a piece of technology for that. I bet there's an app for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you are interested in checking out the farm, allforoneoneforall.com, follow them on Instagram at AOOA Farm. 
Um, it's a perfect time to go also. We're coming into summer. I'm sure it's going to be at its best, most beautiful, most delicious right now. I want to thank Ari Ariane Daguin from D'Artagnan and Alix Daguin from Duck Duck Design. Um, it was a great show. If you're more... If you want more information about regenerative farming, check out episode 219 of Tech Bites. We also did a great episode 245 on the Forge Project, which is a fascinating indigenous American uh, fellowship program that talks a lot about land stewardship and um, how sometimes when we walk into a place and we see how beautiful it is naturally, we think it just happened by magic, but actually probably there might have been some people behind there who were really being good stewards of the land and the environment. Um, if you like this kind of thing, come back and see us next week. If you really love Tech Bites and you love Heritage Radio Network and all of the stories that we tell and archive and share, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and make a donation. Maybe what you would spend for a jar of jam at a farm stand. It'll help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.